0: Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. There has been a breakthrough in the spirit that we have experienced the last two days, and can you feel the extra excitement and faith where we're at, the, 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 liberty, the liberty where we're at, and so we're very thankful for that today. Amen. I want to give high honor again to pastor and the first lady, also to visiting fellow pastors, neighboring pastors. God bless you. So good to greet you. And then we have some friends. I can't see you because the lights are too strong. I think Mike and Becky Poole are here with us from Belleville, Illinois. And we love and appreciate our minister friends from there as well. Look forward to them meeting you personally after service. I am directed of the Holy Ghost today to uh, share um, what has been revelation to me with you. And so I want to um, bring you directly to the Word of God and direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and read verse 11. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11. If you'd like to stand. That just shows a sign of respect for the Word of God as we read the text. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, These, all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And I'm speaking, teaching, instructing, but more I feel like I'm enlightening today about spiritual authority, spiritual authority. God bless you. You may be seated. Here in 1 Corinthians 12 is where we usually will go to find a list of nine gifts of the Spirit. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gifts of faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. But this is not an all-inclusive list of the gifts of the Spirit. I would submit for your reasoning that Romans 12, verses 5 through 8, also has seven gifts listed. We call these the gifts of grace, but prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhorting, giving, ruling, showing mercy. These are gifts as well of the Spirit. And then I would also include Ephesians four. Now while we traditionally call this the fivefold ministry, It's never called ministry in the scripture, but it's called giftings. So I would submit for your reasoning that here are other giftings that operate among the body of Christ. And it's very important that we take advantage, especially in these last days, of every supernatural gift and every supernatural opportunity we have. We are living in unprecedented times, and we have got to have the supernatural among us. Amen. Anybody else believe that? Amen. So verse 11 begins to tell us that all of these gifts worketh by one and self-same spirit. So the prerequisite to receive or to operate in any of these giftings is that you have to have the spirit living within you. So sometime in some place you've had to follow the salvation message journey of Acts 2.38 and you've had to believe, you've had to repent, you've had to be baptized in his name and receive this spirit evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And when you have this gift of the Holy Ghost, then the giftings that come with this spirit is your opportunity. So, these worketh that self same spirit dividing to every man. So, this would let us know it's not just pastor that operates in giftings or, you know, crazy evangelist that comes through every once in a while, but everyone who is spirit filled has the opportunity to operate in these gifts. And then he goes on to declare several gifts. So, not just one or two, but several gifts as. He will. The he here is not capitalized. And in context, it's not meant for us to believe that it's God's will, but rather the individual's will. And this is congruent with what Paul tells us about gifts of the spirit, that we are to desire gifts of the spirit, that we are to hunger after them. And therefore, as we will ourself or hunger or desire, God gives several gifts to us that we might operate supernaturally for the edifying of the body and the strengthening of ministry in our life so very important that everyone here and those that are listening perhaps online that are spirit filled know that the gifts of the spirit are absolutely for you now chapter 12 begins to speak to us about the gifts of the Spirit. The latter portion portion of verse chapter 12 begins to explain that it's the body of Christ and no one that operates in gifts of the Spirit, no matter how powerful it seems, is in higher authority than another. We're all the body. And Jesus Christ is the head. And then we find in chapter 13, the next chapter, He's still speaking in context of the gifts of the spirit and he declares that it doesn't matter how powerful you are and how many gifts you operate in. There has to be an origin or a foundation from which these gifts operate. The gifts of the spirit should operate through the fruit of the spirit. The origin should always be the fruit. You see Jesus doing this extensively. That he is moved on with compassion and then he heals the sick. Opens the blind eyes, feeds the thousands. So this is a place of love or charity or compassion. And in particular, chapter 13 is saying you need to operate in these giftings through love, through compassion, which is fruits of the Spirit. The last portion of chapter 13, he says in verse 10, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So in context of the gifts of the Spirit and the origin of how they should operate, Paul is letting us know that gifts of the Spirit grow in us. It's a maturation process. Like a child grows into adulthood. You don't have the full maturity just because you turn age three <laughs> or even age 18. <laughs> For some of us, 39, so we're still trying to grow. But just like this, there is a maturation process that happens when God begins to give you gifts of the Spirit. He gives you in an impartation so that you can take what He's given you and mature it and grow in it and strengthen in it and become more and more exercised and mature. If I was to example this, I think that I would share it with you like this. Every child hopefully gets the opportunity to walk sometime in their growth process. And when our babies begin to grow and make their first toddling step, you know we're out with our smartphones and we're videoing it because we know it's going viral. The whole world wants to see little baby walking. And we expect our babies to, to grow from just one toddling step and plop on their keister to a... Uh, is keister okay here? I, it got quiet when I said that. To eventually be able to toddle. That's that stage where it's not one step, but it's several steps with that baggy diaper behind them all the way across the living room. And we expect that they would grow beyond that to when they could walk without running into things and falling and those take this one gift of equilibrium or athleticism or balance whatever you want to call it it's that one step but those that give themselves to the discipline of athleticism or or uh, balance become our fastest sprinters it started with one gift that was a childlike gift of stepping But they exercised that gift. They studied the gift. They disciplined themselves to eat certain things and not eat certain things, to have certain exercise at certain times. And they studied and became experts or professionals in their field of whatever it might be figure skaters or football players or or whatever it might be, they started with a stumbling step and they gave themselves to it. This is the idea that we should have concerning gifts of the Spirit, that there's a childlike process when God first gives us a gift that we stumbling try to operate in. But as we exercise that gift and study that gift and pursue in that gift, we mature and become more wise and have even professionalism in that particular gift if I can say it that way. So very important for us to understand that this is the way that God operates. He also does not give you a gift and put you on a stage in the same season. Well, here's your gift of the Spirit. Now get up on the platform and operate. This is not a, the way God does it. He's not in the, in the habit of trying to embarrass us or intimidate us or, or set us up for failure. If I wanted to be an expert trim carpenter, and so I joined with a foreman on a job somewhere, the first day that I'm on the job, he would not have me cutting crown mope. If anybody knows anything about that, you know you've got to cut it upside down and backwards. It can be very confusing. And he wouldn't have me putting judges' panel and trim up uh, that would be so beautifully seen. Probably the first day on the job, I'd be with a, a hammer and a 16 penny nail beaten on two by fours that's going to be hid by sheetrock because I've got to learn my skill. So position me in some place where I won't embarrass myself as I'm mature. So the gifts of God the spiritual gifts will be first in you in places that have no platform or very less visibility. It'll be as you're teaching a home Bible study or as you're witnessing to somebody in the store, or just as you're praying with somebody in the altar and nobody's there to examine you and to put you down and to tell you you just move as God directs you and leads you and you begin to flow in the Holy Ghost. And as you give Give yourself to that you become more and more expert and then god opens the doors for things that are more visible in your life this this is the way that he operates so we should not fear gifts of the spirit i believe that the number one question i get when people began to talk about spiritual authority and gifts of the spirit and the supernatural they always want to ask this question How am I certain that it's the voice of God speaking to me versus my own thoughts, my own ideas? God forbid the enemy whispering things to me. How do I know that it's God saying speak this to an individual or or pray this healing for an individual or whatever the gift might be? The voice of God is always heard in relationships. And until you position yourself in that particular relationship, you don't hear the voice of God distinctly enough to operate within it. Let me uh, lay this down in the scripture before I give an example. In John chapter 10, Jesus begins to speak to the disciples about having him in their life as their shepherd, their shepherd, And he speaks to them that, verse 3, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. He calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. He puteth forth his own sheep. He goeth before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The only way that you can have a shepherd voice in your life of God is if you position yourself to be the sheep. Now, let me explain this before we get too far out here in the spiritual and we lost the practicality of this. There's one God and he has one voice. But in every relationship that he wants to be with us, there is a particular timbre of his voice. Talking spiritually here. Most people only know God as a savior, they hear the voice of a savior. And it's easy to hear the voice of a Savior because His voice is not stopped by sin. It's not stopped by compromise. It's not stopped by anything. Everyone can hear the voice of the Savior because He paid the price on Calvary's hill to be the Savior of the world. So when we come with all of our sins and mistakes, we hear the voice of God speaking to us. That's the voice of a Savior. And it says this, today is the day of salvation, now is accepted time. Everyone is accepted right now. That's the voice of a Savior. And if you will understand, if you ask the person on the street today, what is God? Who is God? They're going to say God is love. Because all they know about God is that one dimension of Him as a Savior. But He wants to be more in relationship to us than just a Savior. He wants to be our everlasting Father. But you're not going to hear His voice and receive the blessing of His fatherhood unless you position yourself in sonship. He wants to be your prince of peace. But again, if you're trying to get your peace from everything else besides the word of God and the spirit of God, you're not going to hear the voice of the prince of peace. And so the shepherd is saying, here again, he says in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. He's emphasizing there's a particular voice of the shepherd and you've got to submit yourself in order to hear that voice. Now, if we're studying this out as the sheep and the shepherd, then we would need to look through the scripture and find how we become sheep. How do we become sheep? Psalms 23 is a good place to start. The Lord is my... That means we're the sheep. I shall here's the number one positioning of the sheep. If you want to hear the voice of the shepherd, you lose your wants to what he wants. Not what I want, but what he wants. Jesus exampled this beautifully when he came as the lamb of God, and in the garden of Gethsemane, we hear him praying, I don't want to drink this cup, but not my will, but your will be done, because I'm the lamb, and you're leading me to Calvary's hill, so a sheep loses its wants and its desires to what the shepherd wants to speak, and if you hear the voice of the shepherd, he's not going to let you even have any wants, He's going to take care of every desire you have. And when you need refreshing, he's going to lead you through that voice of the shepherd beside still waters. And when you need renewal, you're going to find green pastures because you're hearing the voice of a shepherd. And when you walk through global pandemic or the valley of the shadow of death, you can operate in faith and not fear because you're hearing the voice of a shepherd. If it's difficult for us to walk in faith in the time that we're living, we need to examine if we have a shepherd in our life. Now let me speak about this timbre of voice. Uh, Let me just use Pastor for example because he's such a young, good-looking man and all of us love him. Forty's young, isn't it? All right then. Let's say, for example, that pastor uh, has a 13-year-old son. I know that it's hard to believe that a 40-year-old man can do that, but let's just say that he does. And he could be wrestling in the living room floor with his 13-year-old. And in that relationship, they're probably buddies. And son could get away with some things. A little sucker punch. Calling him a name, you know, as long as he's not cussing, just calling him a name. And and that's a buddy relationship that this man could have with his 13-year-old son. But he could instantly move from that relationship into a father-son relationship. And he could say, son, you need to do this and this, this now. And now it's no longer appropriate for son to sucker punch him and call him names. Because the relationship they're in now is not buddies, it's daddy and daddy's boy, right? The people, when when we say that the children are spoiled, what we're meaning by that is that they've not learned to position themselves as a son or daughter to their parents. So there's no respect for parenthood, they still want them to be their friends or their buddies, Unfortunately, I don't know how I got on this marriage seminar all of a sudden. Unfortunately, sometimes that's how parents want to raise kids. If you do that, don't be surprised when they want to be your buddy and not respect you as a father or mother. All right, let's take the same example. Pastor could instantly move from being a buddy to being a father, and then because he's called to pastor, he could say, "Uh, this is what you need to hear. And it behooves child to know it's the same dad, it's the same body, it's the same man. But just the timbre of his voice has changed. And now he's not talking to me like a daddy. He's talking to me as the man in the watchtower of my life. And God is positioned there to give me counsel and wisdom to direct my life to save my soul. All right? We have a pandemic in our organization. I'm going to say beyond that. We have a pandemic in the Christian world today where PKs, preacher kids, did never learn that when their mom or their dad that was leading them wasn't always their mom and dad, but sometimes it was their pastor or their prophetic voice or their direction. And now when they go on to other places, they don't know how to have a pastor. All they knew was that daddy relationship we need to understand that God wants to be so much more than just a savior. He absolutely wants to be our shepherd. He absolutely wants to be our miracle worker. He absolutely wants to be the one that gives us gifts that we can operate in supernaturally. But all of these gifts in particular have a specific voice, And unless you position yourself in that relationship, it is extremely difficult to hear that voice. One more example. I've been praying for God to use me more in physical healing. This has been a few years back now. And praying, God, use me more. Make me more sensitive to individuals. Let me see. Let me be able to speak your words so that healings and miracles will happen in a greater dimension. And my wife and I were driving... Lower Alabama, LA. That's what LA is, if you from the West Coast don't know, it's Lower Alabama. And and I was driving and began to get in severe pain in my back. And finally, it was so severe, I, I told my wife, I said, Luscious, you're going to have to drive, and, and I'm going to sit in the seat. And I'm a passenger seat, and I can't get comfortable. Pain is so much. I'm literally forgetting my seat belt, turning like I'm praying in the seat, you know. And then upside down on my handstand, I just, anything. And nothing was giving me relief. As I'm squirming, I'm talking to the Lord, I'm praying. And the Lord speaks to me that this is kidney stones. And then directly after identifying it, he said, do you want me to be your healer? Well, absolutely. I've been praying for healing and miracle and the gift and the ministry to operate within me. He said, then you're going to have to trust what I say as your great physician. That sounded awesome until he said, no drugs and no hospital for you this time. I'm not preaching against these things, but I was connecting with my great physician, and he said, for this opportunity, I'm going to lead you through this, and I don't want you to go to the hospital, and I don't want you to take drugs. And so the pain was so strong, I said, Lois, we can't go where we're going. Cancel everything. Let's get to a hotel where I could somehow talk to God and work through what's happening here. And, and the kids were little at the time, and Lois dropped them off at McDonald's Play Place. They're getting all kinds of disease in them things, you know. And, and uh, Lois is getting a hotel room for us. I'm writhing in the grass outside in Alabama, and... Uh, Finally, she gets a room. I found that with this pain, I could, I could get in a scalding hot tub, and it would take just the sharpest edge of the pain off. But because of all the steam and the heat and the trauma of my body, I literally could not breathe. And so I, I would go from a tub, stark naked, crawling across a, a living room to get a fan trying to get, and crying like a little three-year-old with colic. Back and forth. And my wife is watching this. She's not used to me acting like this way, believe it or not. And so finally she said this. She said, I know that God has told you not to go to the hospital, the doctors, but if you pass out, I am calling 911. So now I've got the added pressure to stay conscious. Now you wouldn't believe what I'm dealing with in my mind. In my mind, I'm like, oh. You better heard from God. The headlines are going to read, faith preacher dies in the hospital and leaves his family and his wife. All the things that you can imagine that you fight with here. But I was convinced I'd heard the voice of my great physician and I live or die, I was going to follow his diagnosis and his prognosis and his... It was about six hours of this process until finally those of you who've dealt with this understand it began to radiate from around my lower back and then into my side. And it took me probably two more weeks. There was some good relief and I was able to function, but two more weeks before completely passed. But from that time forward, there was a greater dimension that I could hear in the spiritual realm for healing. Because when I position myself that I'm not turning to anything else except God as my great physician, and when he spoke to me and led me, it began to be more easy for me to hear his voice concerning me and concerning even others in healing. In fact, since that time, I never saw this on Google, never heard anybody else say that, but I have learned through the Holy Ghost and some trial and error what Causes my body to store uric acid. And now I do not deal with these things anymore because there's been a shift. My doctor has helped me. My great physician has spoke to me. And so I have moved past this place. And I see greater ability for healing in others now because of that. Until you position yourself where you are the patient, you don't hear the voice of the great physician. Now, he might tell you, go to the doctor. He might tell you, whatever. That's fine, but whatever he speaks. Some people just decided they didn't want healing in their life. They don't want healing ministry in their life because it is a place of faith like everything else in the kingdom of God. In John chapter 14, I, I wish I had time. Uh, to go through this entire chapter and do just the exegetical study but let me just uh, let me just pull a couple of things and i'll be really brief in this in john chapter 14 jesus is speaking to the disciples ultimately that he is going to go away and send the comforter which is his spirit his holy spirit back to them but they're having to understand that it's a totally different relationship they have walked with him physically talked with him they've heard him and now when he comes back in the holy ghost he's not going to have physical ears and he's very rarely going to speak audibly to them so he's explaining to them that it is me in a different relationship which is what we're talking about the power of The Holy Ghost. And then we see verse 9 and verse 10. Believest thou not, Jesus said, that I'm in the Father, Father in me. The words that I speak in you, I speak not of myself. The Father in me that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father, Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. So this is what he is saying, is that I don't arbitrarily, Jesus says, I don't arbitrarily decide, oh, I'm just going to go heal everybody in the hospital today. He said the only works I do is what the Father tells me to do. This is sonship. If you want the authority of the Father, you've got to position yourself in sonship. He even says that I don't say anything that the Father doesn't want me to say. And he said, if you can't believe this relationship that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, then believe it for the very work's sake. Flesh can't do this stuff. It can't. And so the Spirit has to be operating. Let that be your place of faith. And then he begins to declare, verse 13, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now this is two verses that are taken out of context, maybe some of the most misused verses in the entire Bible because we have made that a magic word like abracadabra. And we do something like this. Oh, Lord. I want a Hummer 3 in Jesus' name. Thinking that saying the name of Jesus, and we got a lot of songs that somehow mess up our ideology, but saying the name of Jesus is the sprinkling of some type of magic word or it's the pixie dust that we need to see magic operate This phrase, in my name, is understood so much more in the Hebrew language. It doesn't mean just speaking the name. It means within my authority. It's within my rules. It's within the way that I operate. It's within my household, and this is the way we operate. This is my function. This is my authority. This is how we flow. In fact, the next verse looks way out of place until you realize this. In verse 15, he says, if you love me. Keep my commandments. That seems out of place, but uh, you know I, I've got. Um, we are blessed to have four children, and three of them are are married now, and the youngest is is looking. If any of you young ladies want to talk to me about that, and uh, so now we have a daughter-in-law, two son, two ugly son-in-laws, and and seven angelic grandbabies. No, six. One of them's a demon. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not saying which one, Lois, just. But this, my kids know. They can come over to my house, right, and raid my fridge. Anytime that, we bought the groceries, we put them in there. We actually have plans for them, right? But if they want to come over and eat, that's fine because they're our kids. There's a few rules. Don't go snacking while mom's cooking. That's kind of rude and it's not going to. Benefits you you're going to eat better at the supper than snacking right they know that in my shed or in my garage is a plethora of tools and they can use them however there's some rules i don't know why i feel the holy ghost when i say this put the tool back where you got it i told you i'd feel the holy ghost on that one that was and it's not to restrict them but if the tool isn't back where they got it, I'm going to run over it in the grass and ruin my lawnmower. Or it's going to be left out where they were building a tree house and I'll never find it again. I have to buy a new saw or whatever it might be. So the rule is just to let things function properly. So this is impart what is being said here in sonship if you love me keep my command he said i'm not giving you some terrible restrictions but you are a child in the father's house raid the fridge get anything you need for yourself get the tools get the gifts get the equipment and use them but just use them like the father's rules dictate All the gifts of the Spirit operate through proper submission of authority and proper spiritual timing. So there's rules that we must follow in order to receive. Now he begins to speak about the Holy Ghost in chapter 14 of John, comforters coming, even the Spirit of truth. And at that day, you'll know that I'm my Father, ye and me, and I and you. I think I'll just deal with this real quick. Verse 20. If you're using this chapter solely as proving the Godhead, you're going to come into problems here. Because while the Godhead is everywhere in the Word of God in practicality, because that's a biblical truth, one God. Anybody with me? All right. But this scripture is not talking about that. It's talking about relationship that Jesus, the flesh of God, has with the spiritual realm of God. So when he says here in verse... 20, at that day you should know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. He's not saying you're the third person of the Trinity. Because if you're saying this proves the oneness, then that's what it's going to look like. But he's saying just like I operated as the flesh of God in the spiritual realm, you will operate in me the same way through the power of the Comforter of the Holy Ghost that will be given to you. Let's jump down here to verse 30. And this is where we're going. Jesus says, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now, he's speaking about spiritual authority and the operation that they will operate in greater things than they shall do because the Holy Ghost is coming to live within them. And part of that is the gifts of the Spirit. But his mentioning here that the enemy has come and he has no part in him is a direct reflection to the temptation in the wilderness. When Jesus has just been spoken of as the anointed, beloved son at his baptism, power and authority came upon him, and immediately the enemy comes to battle. You can be sure at every breakthrough, at every new anointing, at every greater dimension, there is going to be a battle that you can overcome. But there will be a battle. We know that, that had been in church for just a little while or longer. And so here we have the scripture saying it like this, that Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Now that's three prepositional phrases that just make me cringe as it goes deeper and deeper. Okay, he's led of the Spirit, that's good, into the wilderness, oh, to be tempted. Ah. So this is a direct leading and guiding of the spirit in the flesh life of Jesus Christ. Why in the wilderness? Because when he is at his weakest place, when his energy is at its least, if he defeats the enemy at that place, then the enemy has no place and no authority and no part in him. This is what spiritual authority is. Now there's a lot of books you can read and a lot of people that can talk about stuff and they'll say well when you take a spiritual authority it's about how much gravel is in your voice and how loud you shout the name of Jesus and if you say it particularly like get behind me and plead the blood and this stuff let me tell you all that is effective with understanding but that's not spiritual authority here's spiritual authority according to Jesus he's in the wilderness he's weak because he's fasting He's not eating in a long time. He's tired. He's at an ebb in his life, a weak place in his life. And that's when the enemy shows up and begins to say to him, you poor thing, you are so hungry, but you know you have the power. You could turn these stones right here to bread. Now, the temptation is not just, well, you're hungry, eat. But what Satan's trying to get him to do is step outside of that spiritual authority. The rules of the house. There's no Ten Commandment that says, "Thou shall not turneth stones to breadeth." It's not there, but the principle is: if he uses supernatural gifts for his own personal aggrandizement, that is outside the will and the purpose of God. And when you step outside the authority and the will of God, you don't have His authority. That makes sense. So here's an insight. You will be tempted to use your giftings to somehow build your own financial kingdom. To somehow get yourself a reputation. To do things that are outside the biblical principle of what a Holy Spirit filled child should be. And if you do that, you're outside of authority. But when the enemy tempted Jesus in that area, he spoke the word that gave overcoming power. And by the word and his own testimony, he overcome the enemy. And now the enemy has no authority in him for that particular dimension. And then the, according to what gospel you read, the next story has him going to a high place on a temple mountain and simply declaring this, cast yourself off, Jesus. And prove that you're the Messiah. Don't you know his entire ministry, that's what he fought. Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the Christ or not? Even at his trial, they're asking him over and over, who are you? But right near at the beginning of his ministry, he had the opportunity to prove that. Because the scriptures of prophecy said that the Messiah would come and no bone of his body would be broken Not even his foot dashed against a stone. And if he jumps off the high place and survives with no broken bones, obviously that's proof. So the temptation here is the enemy wants you to prove who you are through your spiritual giftings and power. There's temptation for that. In fact, I hope I don't confuse you here. But when there's a reputation that precedes you, that miracles happened in the last revival, and the last time you were here, gifts of the Spirit operated, sometimes you'll meet a people that press you this way. He just needs to quit preaching and start calling people out. Understand what I'm saying? You've done the reputation before. Just prove that you really can do this, that you really have that anointing, that you can really operate that way. Now, it happens to a greater degree with unbelievers. Because when I began to testify that twice in our ministry, we've seen the dead resurrected. that I've seen literally cancers eradicated immediately. I've seen the crippled walk, got videos of it. We've seen tremendous miracles. And when I testify of that, unbelievers will say, oh yeah, well, let's go down the graveyard and see how many you can raise up. Let's go down to the hospital. See but if the Holy Ghost speaks that to me. You better believe I'm doing that. But if it doesn't tell me, how could I do something that Jesus didn't do? Even he wouldn't do what the Holy did more than what the Holy Ghost told. Even he would not say things that the Father didn't say. Even he would not do what the Father didn't tell him to do. And when you do that, you step outside of authority. The last temptation. Bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. It looks like a huge shortcut for Jesus to win the world. All he has to do is worship Satan. But if you try to win the world any other way than the pattern and the example and the words of the Great Commission, then it doesn't matter how many people are in your church or how many people are watching your church service. You're outside of spiritual authority. If you want to look and see charlatans in our world today that confess and profess this and that, you look at these three principles and see if they're outside of authority. They might have giftings. Giftings and callings are without repentance, but they don't have spiritual authority if they're outside of these principles. So these three things Jesus did not give himself to. He did not use his gifts for personal aggrandizement. He did not use his gifts to prove that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. And he did not use his uh, position to try to win the world some other way than what he was led to lead as the Lamb of God. So if you find this in any individual a charlatan, you need to realize spiritual authority is gone. So when we look at this, this is where we see Authority. You can walk in spiritual authority if you've overcome in that particular area. And if you've not overcome in that area, very difficult for you to walk in authority. That's spiritual authority. I was preaching some time ago. In fact, you'll realize how long ago it was. We were asked to do a youth on mission in Vancouver. And I think at the time we were in L.A., Lower Alabama, and <laughs> I'm sorry. And so uh, we flew from Alabama. I think I connected in Atlanta and Salt Lake City, was getting ready to fly to the west coast of Canada. And as I'm in Salt Lake City Airport, uh, they delay our flight, they delay the flight beside us. Now they're canceling flights and they're rushing us out of the airport. And as we look on some monitor of a restaurant, as we're rushing out of the airport, we realized. This was 9-11, and hijackers were flying our planes into the Twin Towers of New York City. And so I am stranded in Salt Lake City. I realize the borders are closed. There's no hope of going, so spent several days with the church there and trying to get back home. It was a f- uh, It was next year until they was able to reschedule a youth on missions, and now we're wanting to go back up there, and we've been invited to be a part, and I think some 20-something young people from all over the United States was going to go with us on this youth on mission to Vancouver. And as we're trying to head up there, there is a call I get two weeks before the time that says we've got a little bit of a problem. The pastor that was going to host this youth on mission has fallen into adultery. He's lost his church, his license. He's trying to save his family, his wife, his daughter. We're going to need to shift the conference to another pastor. Unfortunately, there's really only one other church in that downtown area that can host it. But that pastor is on a three-week cruise because of his anniversary. But we've talked to the assistant pastor of that church, only two weeks away, right? And the assistant pastor is going to hold the youth on mission. Sometimes all of these things seem to be so daunting and God is just moving pieces to have his will. And so my wife was able to go with me this time and we flew up to Vancouver. And the first night we spent in downtown Vancouver, I think it might have been 3 o'clock in the morning, and both of us sat straight up in bed. Now That's pretty amazing that both of us are awake in the middle of the night at the same time. I'm a night owl, more of a night owl, and she's more of a morning person at 3 o'clock in the morning. We woke up because there was an evil presence that had come into our room. Now, I'm not see, looking for demons behind every rock. I'm, I'm not looking for that. But I do recognize there's absolutely a spiritual presence that can manifest itself to us. And this was a presence of fear, and it was a presence of confusion and immorality. And we sit up in bed and do what we know to do. We rebuke you. In the name of Jesus, get out of here. We lay down and went to sleep. That night in that service of youth on missions, they left the door open. And as we were singing and preaching, the prostitutes were plying their trade. And they came across the street, walked single file down the altar, and fell in our altars. And there with their lack of uniform on, God began to fill them with the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking other tongues. Across the road, drug dealers were doing their job, and when they felt something come across the street from the church, tears in their eyes falling to their knees, throwing their drugs down the storm drains, host and hostess going across the street, praying them through the Holy Ghost. Miracles were happening, people getting the Holy Ghost, a tremendous revival. That night, three o'clock in the morning, my wife and I both sat straight up in bed. A Presence had come back that we had seen the night before, but This time with his friends. A lot of them there. And so we rebuked all the uglies in Jesus' name. Get out of here. We laid down and went to sleep. There was some 30 or so received the Holy Ghost in them two or three days. Miracle signs and wonders happened in that revival service. And when it came time for us to leave, pastors begged us to change things. They had to get back up there to Vancouver. They recognized the authority and the power that was operating in them. So when I had a chance to come back, it would be by myself this time. And two days before I left Georgia where we were staying to fly to Vancouver, my son comes into my room. And he's young at the time, and he says, Dad, I can't sleep. I'm just, I'm just afraid. I'm scared. So, you know, kids go through stages. So I got out of bed, went back to his room, took him to his bed. Didn't crawl in bed with me. I took him to his bed. Several reasons. We won't talk about them yet. And so there in his room, I said, what is it, Bubba? Is it dinosaurs under the bed? Dad need to check the closet. And he lo- I'll never forget his look when he looked at me and said, Dad, I, I don't know what it is. I just, I'm just afraid. And I felt the same spirit that a few months before had visited us in Vancouver was in my kid's room messing with him two days before I would go to Revival. When I fly out to revival, the whole time I am gone, I am preaching faith and miracles and healing. And the whole time I'm in Vancouver, my family is battling fear. Fear to different dimensions than what they've ever faced. For my wife, the enemy was saying, your husband's not coming home. The plane's going to fall out of the sky and die. It was saying to her concerning finance, Canada can't afford to take care of an evangelist from the state. You're going to go broke with him preaching up there for several weeks. It was saying that the children are going to choose alternative lifestyles and forget what's happening. All these things were being spoken in the minds and the spirits of my family while I'm there preaching. But I realized that if I give in to that battle of fear and say, well, I'm not going to come up here where God's given me authority because my family's battling it, I lose authority in my ministry of faith over fear. Okay? Okay? I began to realize real quickly as I ministered in British Columbia that not only is there a battle of fear, but the prince of that city is a sensual, immoral spirit. They pride themselves as the sister city of San Francisco. They have a large group, I think it's North Van, that is given to alternative lifestyle. Understand that in Canada, if you preach against perversion and name it, you can actually be jailed. We're not far from that. And so we realize, not just because every billboard you see, it's almost pornographic. And when you go to a family restaurant, the hostess that greets you does not have enough clothing on. The, the waitress, if she leans over your table, there's no imagination. Everything there is very physical, but not just that. I know the spiritual battles because how it comes against me. And when I'm there, I'm battling the sensual spirit. And it's telling me, why don't you let yourself think about some things? Nobody will know. Turn on some stuff and watch some things. Entertain. Matter of fact, you could get away with doing some stuff. Nobody will ever know. And the battle of sensual immorality comes against me. Now, maybe I could do something and nobody would ever know. But if I give in to that battle, I have no authority to stand behind the pulpit and speak to people whose families and marriages are being torn apart by perversion and speak the Spirit of God. I might be able to preach a message about it. I might be able to be loud and shout, but I have no spiritual authority because the enemy has a place in me. I realized quickly this was an eye-opener for me, that trip, that this isn't just Vancouver. It is everywhere I go, there had to be an awareness that I had just moved into different principalities and powers. And now it's, it, it's, it's very easy that when my wheels land in an airport, the pressure of that city and the principalities come upon me, that when I'm alone, especially in my hotel room, I feel the battles, and I face them even when I stand behind a pulpit. And I know what I'm fighting against, not people, but the spirits and the principalities that are coming against people. And if I give in to that secretly, if nobody even knows, I lose my authority to operate in the power that takes to lose people. All right. Now, we have said all of that to get to the place where we're at here. Because I need to identify specifically in the last few years since I've been coming here what I face and what I feel here. First of all, there's absolutely a principality and a power of fear. Fear is a strong battle in this place. Fear concerning your marriages. Fear concerning your finances. Fear concerning especially now your health. Fear, fear, fear is so strong. And all the voices that you hear surrounding you are preaching that message of fear. And we are being motivated and intimidated to to do a lot of things today because of a battle of fear. Second thing that I want to identify is there's a spirit of a devourer of covenants. And I don't know if there's a better term that you could put to these spiritual battles, but for me, this is a devourer of covenants. When I come here, immediately I know I'm going to face things in my relationship with my wife. In fact, it'll happen before I get here. It'll be something like this. I'll be getting ready to come, and I'll go into the, the restroom to freshen up, and I'll, I'll come out, and I'll realize that Lois has squeezed the toothpaste in the middle again. And I will say, baby, you know how this turns me inside out like fingernails on a chalkboard. How could you do that? And you could see a rise up in the beautiful saint of God that you know as Lois. And she'll turn to me and find some little sock where maybe I was cold being missed by a foot. And she'll say, Is that your dirty clothes in the floor, Reverend Green? <laughs> I'm having to go years back to find an argument or a strong discussion like this because we have learned that it's not all of a sudden that's the last straw on the camel's back. I told her, no. The enemy is trying to get friction between me and my covenant wife. And if I allow a place for him, I have no authority to rebuke the enemy that's destroying the marriages and the relationship of the fathers with the children that I'm going to be preaching to. We taught our children when they began to act up. It's not just teenage wasteland. We didn't give that excuse. But we said, baby doll, you understand That daddy's about to preach to places where the children have turned their hearts away from the parents and God is trying to bring. So we can't let this be in our home. We can't let this be in our family and we took care of things. I know when I'm going to face this battle of the spirit of the devourer. It comes against covenants, marriage covenants, covenants of parents with children. It comes against covenants of saints with leadership. It comes against covenants of you with God. This is a spiritual principality in this region. Fear and devour of covenants. The next thing I would identify is absolutely a non committal spirit. Our world is full of this, but it's strong in this area where there's a lot of people that perhaps want to know what's going on at the church, but to commit to the vision of the church. Eh. A lot of people that pay their tithes and are faithful. But to step up to a Sunday school position or teach a Bible study, well, I'm not going to commit to that. It's noncommittal in the church with our relationship with God. It's noncommittal with the vision that God's given the local assembly. It's noncommittal in our marriages. Non-committal in our jobs even that God gives us. Non-committal in all these areas. And we just don't want to commit. I'm just telling you what I feel when I'm here. Because what I feel is just, just get a canned sermon. No one will know. Preach something you've preached before that you can really scream a little bit and spit. And man, it's going to be a good time. Instead of connecting in the spirit and bringing the word that God wants us to hear. The fourth principality, and I'm done. There's a spirit of confusion that brings fear, anguish, depression, hopelessness. And I feel these four strong battles with others that are in this place. Here's what we've got to understand. When the community who faces the same principalities that we do, but they don't know how to have authority, and so they're shaking like a rag doll in the mouth of a dog, whichever way the enemy wants to turn them. But when they see you, and sometimes when they see you, it's not the difference of your dress that they see, but they see something different about your spirit. You have an authority. Everybody else is dealing with fear, and you're walking with faith. They see a difference. Everybody else is moved by the sensual things that are happening, and you're not letting that pull you and be affected. They see a spiritual authority. This is one of our greatest outreach tools right now. Is a supernatural reach to people who are hungry. Who need authority in their life. Because the enemy is just shaking them every which way but loose. If they come into our church services. And we are fearful because of where the economy is. And we maybe only give just tithes and offering and we don't invest in the revival because, you know, what's tomorrow going? If you're fearful concerning your finance, you have no authority to rebuke the fear of those that come into this place with needs. (laughs) If, If we don't get junk out of our homes, make sure there's some kind of angel watch for our kids on their phones make sure that junk is not being put before our eyes, and we don't let that sensual spirit be driven out, then there's no authority in us to rebuke it out of some perversion that happens when it walks into our church services. That's true authority. It's when you have overcome, and the only way you'll overcome is by the word. And I tell you, you can't speak in tongues enough to keep you from making mistakes in your life. I hope that doesn't mess with you too much. But you've got to have the Spirit and the Word. The Spirit opens you up. The Word fills you with direction and purpose and strength. Herein, I know it's not as sexy as we want it to be. Oh, spiritual authority, yeah. Oh, you mean it's we got to overcome to have authority. Well, yes. But the good news is you've got a supernatural God on your side. And every gift of the Spirit, healings, miracles, signs, and wonders are for you, His people that are Spirit-filled. So let's hear the voice of God by bringing ourselves into subjectivity of that particular relationship. And let's obey and overcome so that we walk in spiritual, spiritual authority. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to just worship. If, if you remember from years back, what stirs the gift of God in me is worship. So I feel like I need to minister in the Holy Ghost a little bit. Would you, would you just let worship come from your heart and touch God? Be as vulnerable, as open as you can in the presence of God and just let worship come. There you go. Somebody lift up your voice. If you're thankful for revelation, just thank him. If you love his word and his spirit that gives you overcoming power, just, just thank him. Hey. <laughs> you know how to pray in the spirit? Pray in the spirit a little bit as a worship language to God. As a worship language to God. Hey, <laughs> Jesus name Jesus name Beautiful Now bring your volume down just a little bit There you go, that's good As long as we keep our worship and praise on God There'll be a flow of the Holy Ghost here Sister Williams, am I saying your name right? Is this you? Would you come out here? Pastor told me before service just that you are coming today for a miracle in your physical body but when I saw you Lady Williams I I saw something else I saw a wilderness time that God allowed you to move into and in this wilderness there has been so much temptation to lean on everything else except the voice of your great physician but I hear ultimately that you believe he is your healer I hear that you have confidence and faith in the spirit. I hear this, that he took stripes for your healing there at the whipping post. Can I tell you that what he's developing, the reason for this journey is because he's developing you physical healing to operate for your people. What's your name, darling? Yes, ma'am. Ava, Eva, Ava, maybe I got it right. I, I don't know anything about you, darling, but I feel like there's something you have dealt with most of your life physically. I feel like it's in your structure even. And God wants to do a miracle for you. You've been prayed for many times, but there's something of authority in this place today. Can you feel it? Anybody feel that? Lady Williams, because of the authority that has been built in your spirit and your heart through the wilderness journey you've had through sickness and pain for a long time, can you speak with authority for Eva and declare healing for all? Oh, oh, oh. Do you feel that? That's That's what healing feels like, that dimension of authority and power and the love of God. That's healing. Now declare it. That's it. Now I declare as you operate in your authority that you receive it for your physical body. Pastor, come here. Lay hands on Sister Wynn. Pastor, would you come also lay hands? By the authority of the Word of God, I declare healing. And what you have dealt with before has come to fruition. And now is the time for your deliverance. Receive healing. And operate in healing. Woo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. That's it, somebody lift her voice all over the place. Lift her voice all over the place. Who? Beautiful. Hey, my sister. Is that burgundy colored and your friend beside you this your friend your daughter your friend would you come I feel this so strong in the Holy Ghost how old are you darling you're 25 you look 16 you heard that before what's your name Summer Summer there's there's some battles of oppression Battles of depressed darkness that tries to come over your life at times. This is not what you're resigned to. This is just a battle that you've been facing. And there's absolutely a t- complete deliverance for you where you won't fight some of these things that come against your mind the hopelessness that comes against you, and the enemy to say that you need to end stuff. It's an authority of commitment that God is asking of you. And while you have dabbled with his presence and his spirit and have received so much from him, he wants you to forget about just testing the water. He wants you to jump all in, to go for commit yourself completely, and you're going to have authority over this thing that you keep battling. she's weeping as she's been made very vulnerable in the presence of God. I want someone to stretch your hands towards summer right now. (laughs) Summer, let the Holy Ghost rush over you right now by the power of the name. There's some commitments with God that you need to make right now. Some commitments with God if you'll make them right now. That's it, come on, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. Hey. <laughs> darkness leave the emotion by the authority of the word of God you have no place you have no authority you must leave as we declare the name of Jesus the authority of Jesus over this life Ooh. <laughs> across this place those of you who know That the battle of fear has been upon you, but you feel like that you have made a step forward in faith. Let me explain that. Walking in faith is not the absence of fear. God's peace is not the absence of battle and war. But in the middle of war, there's a peace that passes all understanding. That's why the church is so attractive right now. Because we have peace in the middle of everything that's going on. The world turned upside down, but we know God has. So while fear is on every hand, if you still make choices and decisions of faith, you're overcoming fear by your choices of faith. Now, all of those that know You've been battling fear, but you believe you're making steps of faith. I want you to lift your hands all over the blow. <laughs> sir, I prayed for you the other day. I want you to come up. Would you come up? It's a flannel shirt. Yes, sir. Yeah. Ooh. Come right up here. Enemy has been lying to you for a long time, my friend. And the enemy has said that you will never completely overcome some of the stuff that you have been done in your life and that has tried to attach itself to you. I saw something break in your life last night. You are not the same man that you have been before. And a gift of faith is trying to operate through you. So be bold in the Holy Ghost and declare some things for your family. Declare some things for your life. Speak it. I declare peace in my home. I declare overcoming power in my family. Speak some things because a gift of faith is trying to operate. Would you put a pastoral hand on him, pastor, and just loose that impartation? That gift of faith is loose. That gift of faith is loosed. (laughs) Jesus' name Jesus' name Jesus' name Would you lift your voice in worship again Just stir the gift a little longer Hey, oh, run to It's a rossoko to Roboko Calabai. Jesus Day. Jesus Day. I'm going to ask the young people of this congregation, make your way toward the front. If you're ordering the altar, just stay where you're at. But if you're considered a young person by others around you, just just come on down. I don't want to put a number on it, but let's just say unmarried under the age of maybe 25. Come, come on down, just stand. <sighs> The latest statistics tell us this, 70% of those enrolled in university or college for this past fall semester, 70% have been diagnosed with some type of depression. 70%. This is the battle of fear and depression on this generation. We have young people, even in the church, that become confused and believe that there's no hope and are entertaining suicide. In fact, I will not pick them out. There's five in this altar, that at least five that have dealt with this just the past few months. We need overcoming power so that our kids can take their overcoming power and win their generation. Tell me your name again, darling. I just feel a connection to you, Julia. I feel like I probably speak to you every time I come here. I don't know, but I, th- I think there's a connection. I feel like a, a, a father, <laughs> I feel like a daughter. But I see leadership within you. And some of this stuff that I've talked about here, there's, there's a battle of sensuality trying to get your mind and your thoughts. And, but there's a leadership anointing upon you. That's why you're battling this so strong, Julia. And if you realize there's an authority for you to walk in, that you don't have to give yourself to this, then you're going to blossom into the ministry that you've been prophesied and spoke. Young people, you're a key to the revival in this region because you are the most visible people in this city. You are seen you're there at the schools you're there you're everywhere they see you and your presence even on social media is very visible and if you would find out what spiritual authority is you're gonna turn this world upside down hear me it's not even about how much talent and how much gifting and how well you can do. No. It's about letting the Word and the Spirit make you an overcomer from the temptation of these things the fear, the devour, the non committal, the confusion, the depression. And if you overcome in these areas, the authority and power, I'm telling you, they will flock to you and say, Tell me, Bubba, tell me what you've got to. There's a calling upon your life. If you submitted to that, there's a calling upon your life, sir. God is speaking to you of doing tremendous things. And while there's a lot of people that are dealing with spiritual curses, you're walking with a spiritual anointing. I see a generational anointing that is upon you. You've got heritage and you've got purpose. You've got a man believe who you are and start walking in a greater authority. Would would you, if you feel comfortable, gather in behind these young people and those that are in the altar. Just, in fact, come forward a little bit more, young people, so that they can get in the altar behind you and in the aisles. We've identified some things that we need to make sure are not just, these are not just personality and it's not just what I've dealt with. But this is absolutely... Spiritual principalities and powers in this region. Because you live here, sometimes it becomes so common to you. That's what I feel to tell you to do. I don't think that I've ever felt it like this before. But I feel to loose the young people in this place. To speak with authority one to another and declare overcoming power. Fear will not hold you back, depression will not keep you, the spirit of immorality will not control you. Yeah. Hey, if you have any authority in your life now, begin to pray and speak it by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. I loose you into faith. I, I loose you into the morality of the Word of God. Whew. Come on, lay hands on a young person, young person. Just reach out and put a hand on a shoulder. Ha, ha, ha. Youth pastors, take authority that's been given to you and declare some things in the Spirit. Okay, let me have your attention one more time. Last time. Because I'm seeing a lot of what we call condemnation upon people here. And you feel like you can't pray a prayer of faith because you're still battling some things in your own life. I, I want you to see the example of the prodigal son who has wasted his entire inheritance. Everything that's been given to him in the church, if you will. Every heritage is wasted. He has spent it. But when he makes up his mind to come home, the father greets him with a ring of authority he still smells like the pigs but because he has come home he's got the authority of the father's house all you have to do is make a decision of repentance that I've given in to this before I will not give in to this again and already there'll be a ring of authority upon you to pray what you need to pray to speak what you need to speak yeah. We're going to do that in this house in just a few moments. But I feel like this is also a preparation for what's happening tomorrow. And there will be people here whose lives are being turned upside down by the enemy. Some of the community, some will travel a long distance to be in a place where they think there's hope and there's help because spiritual authority resides here. So we're going to make sure that we repent, we get on the right road, and that there's a a, a ring of authority put upon our finger, and that we can operate tonight and tomorrow with authority and with power in the place that God has called us. So one more time, I want you to lift your voice in repentance. God, we've not always done the right choice and made the right decision. But we want desperately to operate in faith and not fear. We don't want to destroy our lives with an immoral lifestyle. We want to be moral and pure. Forgive us of our mistakes. Forgive us of our confusion. Forgive us of our fear. Forgive us of our non committal spirit. And let us walk in faith. <laughs> Somebody lift your voice in repentance. Get on the right road, get on the right path. Hey. That's it, that's it. Make your commitment before God. Turn away from the life you used to. Make your commitment before God. All right, now lift up your hands and receive your authority. By the power of the name of Jesus. In that we have repented. You are greeting us here with an embrace. You are greeting us here with authority. We receive it by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Now minister again to your friend. Now pray again for your friend. And let authority operate through you. I need an intercessor to lift their voice. I need a prayer warrior to pray. Ministry help us all over the building, lay hands. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you, and God bless.